You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. You know, God, I know God is out there. Have you ever felt that way yourself in some kind of a predicament, some struggle, some difficulty? You may be thinking, my only hope and help is God. He's the answer. He's the solution. But the problem is, how can I reach him? How can I get a hold of him? How can I secure his presence? And so really, I think that's what was behind Jacob dreaming that particular dream. When you're in the middle of a difficult time, do you find God easy to find, or do you feel completely alone? It always seems to be one or the other, nothing in between. Well, today in his message, Pastor Mike uses the experience Jacob had when God met him through a dream to remind us that we all need God's help. God is near to us at all times. We just need to reach out, and He's there to help us navigate through the hard times we face every day. Don't ever think that you're alone. God is with you. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 35 as he begins his message, The Excellent Life and How to Attain It. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household, and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise, go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress." and has been with me in the way which I have gone. And so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And so Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him, and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he had fled from the face of his brother. So once again, this morning's message, the excellent life and how to attain it. Okay, so let me set this up for you. Jacob here in this chapter serves up for us one last lesson. And we've been considering this fellow Jacob, who is a part of the cast of characters in the book of Genesis now for several weeks, if not a couple of months. 
and he has, right up until chapter 35, served up all of these very interesting and important lessons for us to learn as Christians, many of which were just simply warnings not to do the same things that Jacob had done, right? But such is not the case before us here in chapter 35. So Jacob here in this chapter serves up for us one last lesson, probably the most important of all of the lessons that we've already learned concerning this man. So he offers it to us in his twilight years. What do I mean by that? In his old age, the excellent life and how to attain it. By chapter 35, Jacob is already 120 years old. So hold on to that. We'll come back to that in just a moment. First of all, let me begin by sharing an observation. As it relates to this lesson that Jacob serves up for us in the twilight of his years, that is, in his old age, an observation. There's been a lot written about the subject of old age in literature and in poetry, particularly so the one who is growing old may find some comfort and solace in those writings. For example, here's a few quotes. I'm going to throw them out for your consideration. Some of the more popular ones, some of which you may even be familiar with. For example, it is magnificent to grow old if one keeps young. Here's another one. You are as young as your faith, as old as your doubt, as young as your self-confidence, as old as your fear, as young as your hope, as old as your despair. Let me share another one with you. If wrinkles must be written upon our brows, let them not be written upon the heart. And then probably the most familiar of all of the ones that I'm going to share with you this morning, the reason why you're probably more familiar with the writer, who is Robert Browning. You remember Robert Browning? Your high school literature class or maybe even in college? He said concerning this subject, grow old along with me, the best is yet to be the last of life for which the first was made. Well, anyway, I don't know how you feel about these quotes that I've just passed along to you. From my perspective, they seem to be all dependent upon me, my outlook, and my performance. And to be honest with you, they do not do very much to cheer me, and in fact, they ring pretty hollow. I'd rather see and hear of God involved in this stage of our lives, in old age, blessing us, providing us with joys, especially suited to the years when our physical strength begins to fail us. I mean, think about it. If he is not in that process as we grow older, aging is just some really cruel cosmic joke. And only the young can be buoyant. But thank God, he does exist, and he does give special graces for our senior years. They can be the best years. In fact, they can become a wonderful glimpse and foretaste of our eternal years. And folks, that's exactly what Jacob's final years were like. Listen, his life, as we've been studying it now, as I've already mentioned, over the last couple of weeks, if not the last couple of months, his life had been filled with trouble most of which was of his own making. Remember, he was deceitful. He was the trickster. But in his last years, in his twilight years, he returns to, notice in our text, go back to our text, in verse 6, he goes back to the city of Bethel, 
according to verse 6. And I'll tell you why in a moment, why this is so significant. And then also in verse 27 of this chapter, he returns once again to his ancestral home in Hebron to bury his father, Isaac. And in doing so, he experiences a fuller measure of the presence and joy of God than ever he did before. And as I mentioned, and this is why this is so significant, and this is why I've drawn this to your attention, at this point he's 120 years old. 120 years old. And for him, the best is yet to come. I mean, think about in this way. In comparison between chapters 34, that we covered pretty much last time in its entirety, and chapter 35, which contains our text this morning, in comparison, I want you to notice that there is a dramatic change. You say, in what respect? Well, in Genesis chapter 34, God is not even mentioned once. I don't know if you noticed that last time, together. In fact, it was all about deceit. It was all about lust. It was all about murder. It was about the fear of reprisals. Remember Dinah, which happened to be one of Jacob's daughters who had been raped by Shechem, Hamor's son. And remember the sons, Jacob's sons, in retaliation, not only sought out and took vengeance upon Shechem, but all of the male population of the city of Shechem as well. So chapter 34 was just riddled with deceit and lust and murder and the fear of reprisal. So that's what Genesis chapter 34 was all about. But now here in in Genesis chapter 35, it's sort of like Jacob turns a corner, if you will, and God is everywhere. God is mentioned directly and indirectly no less than 22 times. Complete absence in chapter 34, not one mention of God. And as a result, this is the high point in Jacob's history. So once again, Jacob is 120 years old here. We are told that Jacob lived, his life was extended until he was 147 years old. And so thus, from a spiritual perspective and point of view, that period of time, that would have been 27 years in all, were the best years of Jacob's life. Now, here's where you and I come in. This is not a history lesson. We're more concerned about how this relates to you and to me. So here's where you and I come in. These years, that is, these last 27 years of Jacob's, are characterized by certain things that served to make his life an excellent one. And that's the title of this morning's message. And so that's our focus this morning, and that's our concern. How do we secure the excellent life? Okay, so that sets the platform and the stage for this morning's message. Now, that brings us right to our first point. There are three points, there are three characteristics that I want to draw your attention to, that if you add them to your own life's experience, you too will experience the excellent life. And this is how you obtain it. The first of which is, on Jacob's part, there was a remembrance of the past blessings of God. Notice here in chapter 35, our chapter begins recording God appearing to Jacob at the city of Shechem. Jacob is realizing he had to move on. As I've already mentioned, the reason why he had to move on was because of the fear of reprisals 
Remember, Jacob's son killing all of the men of Shechem in retaliation of Shechem himself raping Jacob's daughter, Dinah. And so he didn't know how this whole thing was going to play out. Maybe the other inhabitants of the land of Canaan would retaliate and seek vengeance now upon Jacob and his family. So there was that sense, I got to get out of here, right? And uh, if you were in Jacob's shoes, you would have probably considered doing the same thing. But here's the problem. Where was he to go? If he was to go forward, remember his brother Esau, and yes, you know, things, they seem to come to a place of communion and fellowship once again, and remember upon their, their meeting. But Jacob knew something about Esau, how that Esau was very unstable. He was hot-headed. He might change his mind. What am I referring to? Well, if you haven't been here, you probably don't know this, but for those of you who do, change his mind as relates to the vow that he had swore because of the fact that Jacob had ripped his brother Esau off of his birthright, the patriarchal blessing. That was one of our past studies as well. And Esau, now becoming aware of that, swore this vow. As soon as my father Isaac dies, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. Well, we know how the story goes. God intervenes on Jacob's behalf. Finally, Esau catches up with him after many years. And now the hostility and the anger is turned to love and fellowship. And they're embracing. They're falling over one another. They're kissing. But just in case, Jacob is probably thinking, I know Esau. I know his temperament. I know his personality. He's unstable. He's hot-headed. And he might change his mind. And thus, I can't go forward. Well, what do we do? I guess I'll go back. But remember, Jacob couldn't go back neither. Remember, after serving his uncle Laban for over 20 years, he had just had enough. He had finally met his match. Remember, Jacob the conniver had finally met his match in his uncle Laban, who was just as big a conniver as was Jacob. He kept changing Jacob's wages, which resulted in him serving his uncle Laban for 20 years for the hands of his wives, Leah and Rachel, right? And God prospered him during that time for all of those 20 years, but he had had enough. And so it came to the point where he stole away in the night with his wives, his children, that would have been Laban's daughters, as well as Laban's grandchildren. And so he arms his men to go after and track down Jacob. He's going to kill him. And God once again intervenes. God is always intervening in Jacob's life, isn't he? And he warns Uncle Laban not to lay a hand upon Jacob. And so finally they catch up with one another and they swear a vow. They enter into an agreement. Remember, they put one stone on top of another, which is sort of a line of demarcation. And they both swear a vow that neither of them will pass over that pile of stones. And if either one breaks that vow, there are going to be reprisals. There's going to be a full-on war that's going to take place. So what is he to do? He can't go forward. His brother Esau, he can't go back. His uncle Laban. And it was at that point that God spoke to him. So let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 35. Now maybe this makes a little more sense to you. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. 
and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And I would imagine Jacob at that point said, oh yeah, why didn't I think of that? Bethel, right, yeah. He's looking back on his life now, and he must have thought, my first experience at Bethel has to be the high point of everything that has happened to me to date. And remember, it was at Bethel, at a very difficult time in Jacob's life experience. Remember, he's running from his brother Esau, who swore the vow to kill his brother Jacob as soon as his father Isaac had died. When we're first introduced to Jacob, just again, let me just share this for the benefit of those of you who weren't here. Jacob, in comparison to Esau, Esau is a man of the field. He's a man's man. He's a hunter. I think all men would like to identify with Esau rather than with Jacob. Jacob's sort of like a mama's boy, tied to his mother's apron strings. Every time we're introduced to him early on in our studies, He's in the kitchen baking, cooking with mom, you know, kind of a thing. He was definitely his mother's favorite. And so mom became aware of the vow that Esau had sworn concerning killing his brother, and he encourages him to flee the house to go to his uncle Laban's home in Haran. And so he sends, she sends him off, but he's all alone. He's never experienced anything like that before. He's a novice, if you will. He's certainly not a man of the world. And so on that occasion, he's lighting in that area known as Bethel. And it was there that he has this encounter with God. And it was there that God had showed himself to Jacob. Remember the the dream that he had dreamt? Jacob's ladder. He fell asleep and he sees this ladder that extends from the earth into the heavens. And he sees the angels of God going up and down the ladder. I think what precipitated the dream was him being all alone there in the desert, looking up into that starry desert sky and realizing that he was all alone. He felt his weakness. He felt as if if I could reach God, God would help me and preserve me in this particular situation. And it was that thought that entered into his subconscious that lent itself to his dreaming the dream, but really I think God had something to do with it as well, that dream which is known as Jacob's Ladder. That's the way, you know, God, I know God is out there. Have you ever felt that way yourself in some kind of a predicament, some struggle, some difficulty? You may be thinking, my only hope and help is God. He's the answer. He's the solution. But the problem is, how can I reach him? How can I get a hold of him? How can I secure his presence? And so really, I think that's what was behind Jacob dreaming that particular dream. And so anyway, through that dream, that was the idea, the the ladder by which he can ascend unto God, to make the connection with God. And isn't it interesting, and I've drawn your attention to this in one of our previous studies, that ladder was a type of Jesus Christ, wasn't it? In fact, Jesus even refers to himself in that way in the gospel according to John. In Jesus' own words, if you will, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me. You see, Jesus is that ladder by which we ascend unto God, by which we make that connection with God. You see that? 
And so anyway, it was there at Bethel where Jacob had had this experience. How that God showed him that he cared. And how that God swore a vow to Jacob that he would keep him. And so in Genesis chapter 28, why don't we just quickly turn back there, just for the sake of making this point. But in Genesis chapter 28, in verses 20 through 22, Jacob is so impacted by what had just taken place, this vision, this dream, Jacob's ladder, if you will, that notice he was so impacted, he himself made a vow. And what did he say in that vow? Well, in chapter 28, it's recorded first, beginning in verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on. Does this sound familiar to any of you, by the way? You know, we try to make some kind of a deal with God in distress, right? When everything has been shut down, we're trying to strike a bargain with God. God, if you do this and bail me out of that, then I'll do this in return. And, but I actually believe that Jacob, although he's a conniver, always seeking to get the best of other people, right? I believe that his heart was in the right place, even when he swore this vow. And then he goes on to declare, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. Oh, like big deal, right? Like I'm going to do you a big favor, God, and you can be my God. And the stone which I have set As a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So he's promising to tithe regularly unto God. You know, it's kind of a weak vow that he made, right? I mean, God was still God, whether Jacob acknowledged it or not, and surely God didn't need his money. But Jacob's heart, I believe, is in the right place. And it was in the strength of God's promise that he endured the years of exile. And so now Jacob is going back. He's thinking about that vision. He's thinking about the vow that he had made and the fact that God had kept his promise, how that God had kept him, how that God had prospered him. In fact, notice in Genesis chapter 32, in verse 10, he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant." For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff. That is the first time. In fact, he arrived at that destination with absolutely nothing as he was fleeing from his brother Esau. But God nevertheless blessed him. He heard his prayer. He heard his request. His hand was upon him, right? And now he's returning. And now I have become two companies. The idea is that God had prospered him and blessed him. And now he had not only wives and children, but servants and maidservants and manservants and flocks and herds. And, you know, God blessed them beyond measure. And so he's testifying to that fact. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long been listening to Pastor Mike Fenizio here on In My Father's House. He is working his way through the book of Genesis. If you were blessed by today's message and want to pass along the blessing, you can find a link to give to the ministry on our website, harvestnyc.org. 
We have so much available to you there, including many audio messages and links to streamed messages. We stream every Sunday and Thursday service. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. Another way to pass along the blessing is to share the messages with someone else. Maybe God put someone on your heart today as you listened. You can send them the links as well. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. We're easy to find, with access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. But if you're from another part of the country or world, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. There is nothing more beautiful than the global body of Christ. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast for daily doses of the word. Just go to Spotify and search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. And then just click follow. Well, we have filled our time for today. Come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my Father's house with you. 